0: So this morning, um, we're going to be hearing from the letter of Jude. Um, Sort of obscure. I don't know how many times I've read Jude in my life. I'm not really sure. Ray's raising his hand. He's read it. I'm glad. Um, So let's take a look. Jude is the second to last book in the Bible. So it's right before Revelation. And it's quite short. There's only one chapter. And we're going to be reading from verses 17 to 25. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, By building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So um, many of you know that my husband, he's a state trooper, and he works the night shift. And so he often works from like 3 p.m. to 3 o'clock in the morning. And that means that morning for him is about 1 p.m. And so because of this, we often share brunch, so breakfast for him and lunch for me, and a cup of coffee around 1, 1 1.30 in the afternoon. And by the time my husband has made his way to our kitchen table, he has already read more news than I read in probably a month (laughs) these days. Um, He gives me this 10-minute rundown of everything that he's absorbed. As a two-time combat veteran and a current warrant officer in the military, Brendan's focus is like laser-beamed in on this conflict in the Ukraine. Has anyone else been paying attention to this? He's paying attention to every single detail about his enemy, about the terrain, about strategy, the players involved, the equipment, the leadership, everything. He's taking in every piece of information that he possibly can just in case he has to go. Now, there's wisdom here in being informed, particularly for someone who does what he does. And yet, as the two of us have sort of discussed time spent and the implications of all this and while it's not his intent or goal this this hyper focus of wanting to know comes with a false sense of security or control it's this little lie that if we can understand something we somehow have power over it you know what i'm saying like intellectual assent can somehow save us as if we can shrink risk by simply being aware of risk now in the verses that we just read, a man named Jude wants to shrink the risk. He wants the church to be aware of some risks that are within her gates. So let's look at this. This the short letter of Jude. Judas is short or Jude, excuse me, is short for Judas. They shorten it to Jude so we don't get him confused with Judas, which would be problematic. Now, Jude is a half-brother to Jesus, and interestingly, Jude did not become an apostle until after his brother died and rose from the dead. He didn't believe it till the end. Then he became an apostle. Jude is a leader in the emerging church that's living with the awareness that Jesus' return could come at any minute. They are aware. They think it's going to come within their lifetimes, it's their focus. Now unlike Paul's letters, Jude doesn't specify who his audience is. We don't know the geographical location or a specific church, but what we can sort of parse out by what we read is that Jude is writing to a church that's full of Jewish believers or a mix of Jewish believers with Gentiles who are aware of Jewish custom and we can we can see this based on his references to Jewish materials that they would need to know. And much like Paul, Jude doesn't mince words. (laughs) If you read the whole book, he's very direct. He knows what he wants to say, and he gets right down to the point. And so what's the point? What's, What's the problem? This is fleshed out in the first half of the letter that we didn't read, and it's sort of named in the part that we read. So I'm going to describe this for us. Now, the problem in this church is that there are certain men who pose a threat to the integrity of this church. They are described as being selfish and self-absorbed. They seek their own comfort, gratification, and glory. They're disrespectful toward the leadership, and they cause disunity and division within the body. They're worldly and they're secular, and Jude even says that they use grace as a license to sin, particularly with regard to sex and money. Isn't that interesting? In today's world. And while these men are in the church, they show up at the love feast as if they're part of the community. Jude says that they are not believers who are filled with God's Holy Spirit. Much like our context today, believers in Jude's day lived in a world that's fueled by selfish ambition. Just as it always had, Jude's world is marketed and it sells it's own brand of love and joy and happiness. And that brand is marked by lust and greed, pride, rejection of authority, slander, grumbling, bragging, flattering, distortion of God's plans and purposes and sexual immorality. It's a list, isn't it? Like you can just kind of feel the weight of it. And somehow all this poison has seeped its way into the church. The underlying itch here is that we as humans are made to worship, and that's not just what we do on Sundays. We do it. We're made to do it. It's not a question of whether or not we're going to worship. It's a question of what we will worship. And as sin begins to sprout in our lives, when we shift our worship, our affections, our sense of value and identity and our purposes away from God, And over to the things of the earth, the lust, the money, the immorality, the things we just discussed, and even to our own comfort and our own wisdom and our own understanding, sin sprouts and it turns into idolatry. It turns us into worldly, self seeking, prideful, and deceived people. And this was the problem in the church that Jude was writing to. Does it sound familiar? It's just the things of the earth somehow taking root in our hearts and showing up within our midst. No wonder Jude is fired up about it. No wonder he wanted to make sure that the church was aware of it. But he doesn't stop there. And, And for me, as I was studying, this is where things get really interesting. Jude doesn't just point the problem out. He has a lot to say about how to solve the problem. This is what he says. So the first thing he says is that this shouldn't be a surprise. Isn't that encouraging? Like the apostles told us, the Lord told the apostles, people, there will be those who try to cause division among you. It's coming. And what we should do about it is this. He says, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life, Now, the sentence structure is a little weird here in the original language, and so I think a more clear way of saying it is keep yourselves in God's love. That's the command by building yourself up in faith, praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping focus on Jesus and eternity, the blessed hope. And then Jude gives us some instructions for how to treat others. He says, be merciful, practice evangelism, and be radically adverse to sin. But what I want us to see here is this is a command to keep oneself in the love of God. Another translation phrases it, fasten yourselves like a seatbelt. <laughs> Buckle up. Fasten yourselves to the love of God. I don't know about you, but this feels weird to me. Like, I don't I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I thought Jude would give some advice on how to do some really good conflict or, or church discipline, you know? Like, this is a problem. I didn't expect love to be the solution that he posits. Now, last week we heard a beautiful sermon about the love of God. We were invited to return back to our first love or to go maybe for the first time to a tender moment or season when our hearts really find their home in God's. We were encouraged to read through that song of songs and to drink deeply of the love that God has for us and to consider the love that we have for him in return. And as Pastor Gina noted in that message last week, this exercise could be really uncomfortable. It might feel mushy and gushy, And emotional and and maybe even like unproductive or selfish, right? To just focus on love. Some of us may not have had this kind of intimacy with the Lord before. And I think some of us struggle to be sort of lovey-dovey even with our loved ones on this earth, much less with God. And yet, as we learned last week, Revelations warns us about neglecting that first taste of besotted love. The Bible includes this song of songs that's dripping with desire, intimacy, and love. And here we have Jude telling the church on the cusp of division and dissension that the solution to their problem, the way that they're going to sustain under pressure, is latching themselves to love. Completely the opposite of these certain problem people in their midst, the church is to fasten their hearts to the love of God. As I thought about this, I was reminded of a documentary that I saw semi-recently, and it was about mountain climbing, and it was about people who do this thing called free or solo climbing. Have you heard of this? They don't use ropes, friends. Like, they, they climb just crazy rock surfaces without ropes, and what they do is they study these mountains, right? Like they get to know every ledge and crevice, and they study the weather, and they pick the, f- the perfect day. And, and the idea is that somehow on their own, without help, without ropes, they can do it. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, if, if you like it, I, that's, I think it's crazy. It <laughs> gives me anxiety just watching it. It's caused great conflict in the world of climbing, like the culture of it. And if you look at the statistics, like many of the leading people in this in this practice have actually died. they've They've fallen to their deaths and died. They hadn't accounted for things like radical shifts in weather that happens higher up, the potential for their own human error, and the danger of rocks simply falling, <laughs> crumbling. You can't depend on it. If this life is a steep climb into the heavens, our hearts need to be fastened to the rope of the love of God. we got to clip ourselves in, and it's going to be what holds us fast when the weather shifts, right? If you're on a rope and you're mountain climbing, you can like take a nap up there. People do that. You can rest when you're tired on that rope, right? That rope of love is going to be what catches us when we stumble, when the rocks that we think are solid fall to the ground. And it will provide a resting place when we grow tired. And it provides a map to the top, right? Like if that rope is up there, you know where you're going. Now, it's interesting that we're commanded to stay in the love of God. Because the opposite there, the implication is that it's actually possible to unclip ourselves from it. We have a responsibility here. And as I thought about this, I wondered, like, why? Why would we actually take ourselves out of the love of God freely given? And I think there's a lot of motives there, right? Like, you've got, I think, just innocent ignorance. Like, some of us weren't raised with this concept of steeping ourselves in the love of God, pouring out the love of God. It's just something we're not maybe aware of. I think for some of us, maybe we haven't experienced positive human intimacy, and so there's maybe a fear, fear of rejection tied to intimacy with the Lord. Have you ever heard someone say something to the effect of, I'm so sinful that the Lord couldn't possibly love me like that? Maybe you felt that way. I know I have. It sounds like what some might call humility. You've got a sort of a right view of your own depravity and yet for me at least as i've dug deeper over the years there was actually some pride under there because the lie under that rug of god couldn't love a sinner like me lies the idea that at some point i could earn my way like i I can i can memorize that rock face and i can climb by myself and maybe god can at the top if i earn my way right It's that rock climber who thinks that if they just memorize it, they can climb and do it by ourselves. I don't think it's a coincidence that in Jude's day and today, the enemy's tactic is to tempt people with distorted ideas and objects of love and self. Like, do you see the way it lines up here? Because when we shift our focus, like our love on ourselves and our own ability, or to the things to the side that we might love, things like money or affection or attention, all these other things, we lose our connection to that rope that we need, to that love. Worship is an overflow of who or what we love. That's what we give our focus to. And so when we neglect our love of the Lord and our worship shifts, it finds a landing place, and that really becomes idolatry. And idolatry produces this problem that Jude is addressing. Now, I think that the people that Jude described, like they know theology. They, they, if you talk to them, I think they could probably explain, I'm in a church because I believe this and I think that. And they blend it in just fine, but the problem is that their hearts were given over somewhere else, and then they became deceived and their lives started to bear the fruit of that deception. Do you, like, do you see this? The knowing is not enough. Like, the knowing is good, but if we're not tied to the love of the Lord, you can, you can just lose it. You lose your focus. We must keep ourselves in the love of the Lord. The verb tense there is imperative. It means it's not just a suggestion or a good idea, it's a command. And the rest of the solutions offered are part of how we do it. They come under this idea. So knowledge without the end game of growing in love and maintaining, it's its not the point. Like, love is the end game. We are to build ourselves up in the faith. This is part of staying in the love. Now, the verb here indicates an ongoing thing. This means that we as believers are constantly growing. Did you know that? Like so often as a pastor, I think people um, I've run into this where it's like, oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm in my faith. Like I'm saved. I'm I'm done. You got nothing else to give me. We are always growing, like consistently building ourselves up in the faith. And we are responsible for that building. Giving ourselves over to that building so really practically this means being with other believers It means submitting to spiritual authority. It means continually measure, measuring ourselves up against the word of the lord This is why pastor gina brought up her tattered bible last week Because it's the way that she built herself up in the lord in that season of first love It means forming our lives our identities around the truth of the gospel and from that flows a loving union with God. That's the end game of building up. In order to keep ourselves in the love of God, Jude says, we're also to pray in the spirit. Now, this can mean praying in the gift of tongues. It's a beautiful gift. But it also means not praying in my own spirit. Not my own plans, not my own perspectives. It means entering into dialogue with the Lord in prayer. I'm not doing all the talking. I'm listening. I'm listening to the Spirit. I'm asking the Lord what he thinks about things. I'm practicing good discernment within the body, and together we're united by our Spirit. We're joining our spirits with each other's spirits, with the Holy Spirit, and we're praying in his kingdom to come. Just as trees point themselves toward the sun and put all their energy into pushing past the shade, humans were made to turn our faces to the love of the Lord, to our Father in heaven. Man, what a hard taskmaster we have, right? Like, this is the way you're going to sustain pressures in the world. You're going to stay in my love. You're going to spend time in my spirit. And you're going to point yourselves toward what's coming. Our savior who's coming again, his kingdom to come and rule and reign and joy and peace. Such goodness. And the beauty of it all is that this isn't just some mushy gushy exercise. Like this isn't a Valentine's Day date, friends. As we've heard in testimonies, this is what's going to bubble over to change the earth. Like it's not just about us it's as hope was telling us you come from this place that's so full that it bubbles over and it impacts the world around us we've been asking the Lord for revival haven't we we've been asking for him to come in power and pour out and as I was digging into this text I just had the sense that all of that comes from this place of being seated and connected in love Because if we're not connected to that love, we can be deceived and we can get lost and we can grab the wrong rock and come down. And so this morning, I think this is God's invitation to us. Let's keep building ourselves up in the faith. Let's keep growing and staying in his Holy Spirit. And let's latch ourselves to the love of the Lord. Jude ends his letter with a blessing and assurance. It's like after he explains the dangers of what's going on, he wants to land with confidence. And so that's where I want to land for us too this morning before we pray. Jude says, to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our savior be glory, majesty power and authority through jesus christ our lord before all ages now and forevermore amen let's pray god we thank you for your love we thank you and praise you for the way that you've been pouring it out this morning lord through song through testimony Lord, you are so good that you would give us your love and invite us to stay in it. Lord, there's an abundance of reasons as to why we might not do that, why it might be hard. And so this morning, Lord, as we we focus on you and as we go through the week, I ask that you would show us what might keep us from your love. And, Lord, if we are already dwelling in your love, I ask that you would take us deeper, that you would strengthen that connection to your love. Lord, we ask that your love would bubble over, that it would pour from our hearts and lives lived in worship, that you would be lifted higher in all of our lives. And, Lord, we do ask that you would pour out revival on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.